Uh, this morning, I'm going to be over in Luke chapter 10, and I just want to give you a little bit of prelude before we get into that, um, because I am about to begin on a few weeks of preaching to you on a sermon series. Um, it's what might be considered a topical sermon series. I'm going to be going through different parts of Scripture to get to this. But uh, as a setup for you, I have been in church for a very long time. Uh, my mama boasts that I was born on whatever day I was born on, and then that next Sunday she brought me to church. And uh, I've pretty much been in church ever since then. And I say that, I guess you could say I'm boasting, but I'll also say, because I've been in church that long, I sure do know how to put on a good act. I know how to do what I'm supposed to do to look like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I bet some of y'all do too, and that's okay, you don't have to tell me, but I bet you do too. But here's what I want you to hear what I'm saying. Coming to church, being on committees, participating in the worship, helping with the Vacation Bible School and the other outreach of this church, showing up when we have special events, singings, and uh, the movie nights, and those are all wonderful things. They are good things. They can and should be spiritually refreshing things, spiritually growing things, things that help you be what you're supposed to be in Christ. But those things, we have to make a very important distinction. There's doing things that make you look like you seem like you're doing right, and then there's actually being real. Do you understand the distinction? I can put on, as they say, put on an air. And you might think I am somebody. But that don't mean I am somebody. That just means I look like I am somebody. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus warns that on Judgment Day there will be some people, and I would even, I don't say this with any joy, I would even dare say there may even be some in this room this morning that will claim that Jesus is their Lord. And they will point to all the things that they've done for Jesus. And he says in verse 23 of Matthew 7, he says he would have to say to those people, some of those people, I never knew you, depart from me. I don't know who you are. You have to leave now. Now to attack that spirit of pretending, seeming that we are something when we're not. I want to spend the next four weeks with you on a sermon series that I'm entitling, It's Time to Get Real. I think there will be a slide that you all can put up there. It's called It's Time to Get Real. And this is something we're going to just focus on for the next four Sundays. I, I think I put up there that it's in August, but it actually leaks over into September. In fact, go to that next slide. You'll see there, there's four Sundays here that we're going to do. Um, and you'll see there, there's uh, four different texts that we're going to look at. Um, I know next uh uh, today we're going to be talking about Luke chapter 10, just one meaningful thing. We'll see that in just a moment. Next Sunday is going to be Youth Sunday. So I'm going to talk about hypocrites. Uh, so I thought that was perfect for Youth Sunday. No. No, really, no. I'm joking. That's not true. Uh, we are going to talk about hypocrites, but it wasn't for y'all. It's for the rest of them. Okay, that's who that's for. But we're going to talk about hypocrites out of Matthew 23. And then uh, the last Sunday in August, we're just going to talk about the fact that we can't produce things that we're not. 
It can't be. We can't actually make production of something that's not real inside of us. And then the last Sunday which of this series, which will be in September the 5th, which will be the necessary sacrifices out of first grade. You'll see that as we go along, but I just want you to, to see uh, that that's something that I'm, I'm aiming for. So I want to personally, and I say this because I've done a personal evaluation of myself, and I've kind of assess where I am and what I'm doing, and I'm going to stand up here and try to be a pastor. I'm going to preach to you. I'm going to propose to preach to you the Bible. And man, I, it's a scary position to be in, to stand up here and try to preach to you all the Bible. Y'all need to do this. And i got to step back and say, hang on a minute. Am I actually doing that? And I have to really, I've had to do some soul searching myself, and I, I'm not done with that. And I really want to be real. I want to be what I'm presenting to you. I don't want to put on air. I'm careful that I, I recognize that fault, uh, that failing in me, that I want to do that. I want y'all to think I'm a good guy, that I, all, all my stuff is just perfect. That's what I want you to think about me. It's not true, and I need to go ahead and get real with the Lord, and I need to get real with y'all. So I want to exhort you to do what I'm trying to do for myself. Nothing will ever be accomplished in my life, in my family's life, in our church's life, in our community. Until and unless we are willing to get real with you. That's what we're going to have to do. So now to today's message, if you want to flip that over. Today's message, we're just going to talk about the one thing that we need. The one thing that we need. This is where we have to start. We're going to be, I told you, said there on there, Luke chapter 10 will be the last few verses of that. We'll read that in just a moment. By way of introduction for today, so I've already introduced the series, now let's talk about today, what we're going to talk about. This November, um, I have planned, I have signed up, everything's ready to go. I am going to be running a half marathon, and I'm excited about that. I've not done that since last year when it about killed me when I did it, but um, I'm going to do it again. About ready. I'm trying to get myself up. I have, anyway, it's a long story, but I have a goal with in my mind what I'm trying to do there, but I'm going to be doing 13.1 mile trek in Mount Airy. There's a, some, some trails and do the city streets that I'm going to be running up there in Mount Airy. And I've asked my son Harrison, he's our oldest child, I asked him, I said, why don't you run this with me? I said, let's, let's do this with me. Now, um, the problem is, you, you may say, well, Matthew, you don't look like much of a runner, and I understand why you'd say that. Uh, I get it. I, I understand. Not, not exactly the runner form, but that's okay. I know what I'm doing. Um, that said, Harrison really is not in running form. Now, he could beat me up. He could take me down, so I wouldn't say that with him in the room. But nonetheless, he is not in running form. Um, and as we're making some plans together, I said, let me put together a plan for you, how you can train for this thing. We just kept running into this thing that said, I mean, there was no no source out there anywhere that would say it would good, be good for him to run 13 miles in the condition that he's in. He needs to slim down a little bit more. He needs to actually do a little bit more work. He's actually running no miles at all right now. So he's got to do something. Now, a 5K might be possible, a 10K maybe, but a half marathon, not exactly. In fact, it was indicating that it would actually hurt him. I mean, like physically, long-term pain and suffering if he were to do this. And he might not even finish the race. Now, you know my son Harrison. I'm talking about him not in the room, so maybe I'll get to meet him one day and tell him all, all the things I'm saying about him. But he's up for trying. He doesn't care what anybody thinks about him. 
He will do what he's going to do no matter what. Now, at the end of the day, he's still going to get hurt if he does this, but he doesn't, that doesn't bother him. But it couldn't happen. He's missing the one component that he needs in order to be able to run 13 miles in about, what, two or three months now. That one component, if you know anything about running at all, you know to run that kind of distance, you need some baseline miles. You just need to be able to have some, you have to have put some uh, um, uh, energy into this effort before now. You'd have to week in, week out, run a few miles, sweat a lot. He would have to do that week in and week out. And so if he were to start that now, maybe another year or so he could do that, but he's got to build up to that. That's the one necessary thing. And in the same way, if there's any hope of us doing work for the Lord and not buckling under the pressure, buckling under the disappointments that are absolutely going to face us when we run into them, there's one thing that is needful, one thing that is necessary. I'm taking you now to Luke chapter 10. This is an incident in the life of Jesus and his friends, Mary and Martha. And I think this incident gets to the heart of this problem as well as the heart of the solution. This one thing, this one thing. You need to understand that Jesus is coming for a visit. We're about to read this. He comes for a visit. He likely came to their house, I don't know, maybe a couple, three times a year. It was at least a handful of times a year he would go um, and visit with them. They were his friends of his. As far as I know, this is the only occasion that is recorded in Scripture where he actually did this. But again, there's an indication that he would have done this on a regular basis. We're about to read this. Luke chapter 10. I'll begin in verse 38. I'm going to read down to verse 42. And I want you to pay attention to what Jesus says, the one needful, one necessary thing as we read that. If you're able to stand with me, would you do so out of reverence of the reading of the Lord's Word? Luke chapter 10. And verse 38 says, Now it came to pass, as they went, that he, speaking of Jesus, entered into a certain village. A certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, Dost thou not care that my sister have left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Let's pray together. Lord, Please help us to see what is necessary, what is needful, the one thing that we must have in order to serve you as we ought to. Help us to cast our cares on you because we know you care for us, Lord. Help us to spend the time with you that we need. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You all can be seated. Martha is welcoming Jesus into her home. You see this in the first verse of our passage in verse 38. It says says there that Martha received him into her home. She, if you know anything about Martha, if you know anything about the the background of this this family, you know that Martha's the boss. This is her house. She's taking care of business. Nobody's going to tell her how to run her house. She's going to run it the way she wants to. And she's in charge. 
she's got that kind of personality. Maybe some of y'all know people like that. Maybe you are that person. That this is your house, and it's going to run my way and on my time. She's that kind of person. But, in fact, you see Jesus coming to meet her later in John chapter 11 when their brother Lazarus died. She's doing the exact same thing. She's got everything together. She's the one that goes out and meets Jesus. So she's a very strong personality. I think on the good side, though, she's also clearly full of hospitality. She's welcoming Jesus into her home. I mean, she's not she's not saying you can't come today. She's saying, no, no, y'all come in. We're, we want to serve you in this home. She's a very welcoming personality. And, and as best as I can tell, and everybody would seem to agree on this, that she would see Jesus as her friend. Seeing Jesus was a, was a highlight of her, at least her year, if not that, that week or that month. It was a highlight of, for her to see her, to see her friend as he came in. And she wanted to serve Jesus. So I'm telling you that to say, to set a baseline, yes, she's a very, a, a very A-type personality. She's very much in control here, but she's also in love with Jesus. That's her friend. She loves him. I don't think there's any concern there that she doesn't love Jesus. But as we look as she's welcoming Jesus into her home in verse 38, we're also seeing verse 40 that she is overloaded with work. She is absolutely overwhelmed by the work. I, I think I, I can imagine because I can I just go ahead and tell you this. I didn't ask her, so I'm gonna probably get in trouble when I say this. But my wife is like this. My wife, Vanessa, is exactly like this. So invite somebody to the house. And here's what happened. That dinner that was supposed to be just this, a nice, simple little dinner with a couple of friends turns into this huge gala that is going to be just like we've got to get, we got to repaint the house. You know, it's like everything is just completely different because of, and I imagine Martha was kind of like that. Because what's happening here is that she, she really does love Jesus. She really does want to welcome him. She really does want to, to uh, uh, welcome him into her home and to serve him. But, I think she's put on a pretty big show, a pretty big spread for Jesus, and maybe even his disciples. It only really talks about Jesus, but in the previous uh, context there, it's, it's with his disciples, so it wouldn't surprise me that Jesus is coming in with at least a couple of his friends around him. So here's Martha trying to get all of this together, and it says there that she is cumbered about, she's distracted, she's got so many things going on. Again, some of y'all that host people at your home, you know how this is? You invited your friends over, but you're so busy getting everything together, you can't actually spend the time with your friends. Do you understand how that is? That's exactly where Martha is. She's clearly anxious about doing this right, doing this well. She wants everything to, to come together. And in fact, Jesus tells her in verse 41, he says, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. I suspect the many things clearly are all the things going on in the house, trying to get things prepared. But I suspect that Jesus is saying, Martha, you got a lot going on right now. you got a lot on your mind. Again, I imagine y'all can appreciate this. You have a big party over at your house and you're doing all this work, but that's after a full week of everything going wrong at work everything going wrong at the kids' school, everything going wrong in every other aspect of your life, and then this is the last thing you need to deal with right now. I imagine that's some of what Martha's dealing with. So here she is. She is carrying a heavy load. There's just not enough time. 
there's just not enough hands in the kitchen. There's just not enough. There's too much going on. She's not able to enjoy what is what is really right there in front of her, which is her Savior who has come to spend some time with her and her sister. And Jesus, when she, when she comes to Jesus and complains to him in verse 40, Jesus doesn't tell Mary to get up and work. He doesn't stand up and try to help her. What does Jesus do? He rebukes her. He fusses at her a little bit. Now, he's gentle about it, and he's loving about it, because that's how Jesus is. But he's kind of saying, you're wrong, Martha. You're not right. He's not. I want to make sure that we're real clear on what Jesus is doing. Look, look what he says here before I go there. He says, hear what he says in verse 41. He says this to Martha. He says, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. You've got a lot going on there, uh, Martha. But one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part. Now, what's Mary doing? Y'all remember what Mary's doing? It's not very many verses. Hopefully, you can just look back up in, um, in verse 39. Mary, what's she doing? She's sitting at Jesus' feet. She's sitting there. Now, now let, let's, let's we talk about being, this is all about being real, right? So, let's be real for just a minute. You've got a big bunch of people that you're trying to get your dinner ready for. And you're bustling around the house, cooking and getting everything straight. Wives. Your husband's sitting there watching TV. What are you saying? Oh, bless him. He's okay. No, no, no. You're going to say, boy, get up. We've got work to do. We've got stuff going on. Get up here. We got. What are you doing sitting there? So can you at least appreciate where Martha's coming from? Mary, I know Jesus is here. We'll talk to him in a minute. We've got stuff to do. But Jesus says, no, no, Mary's chosen the good part. She's done the needful thing. She's done the one thing that needs to be done. I want to make sure you understand what Jesus is doing here. He's not saying work is not important. It's not what he's saying. He's not calling us to laziness. That's not what he's saying. But he is calling Martha, and I think by extension he's calling us, to something better. The one thing that's needful, the one thing that's necessary. He's calling Martha, and I think by extension you, we need to spend some time with Jesus. Mary is sitting. If you go to verse 39, you see she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, this was a, the posture that a disciple would have taken. And I'm talking about this is how this would have worked in the ancient world, that when you are learning from a rabbi, you would have sat at his feet and he would have been there teaching you. So what Mary is doing is she's literally saying, I'm just going to put the world on pause right now because my teacher, my rabbi, my master is here, and I'm just going to sit at his feet. I'm going to take on the posture of learning. I'm just going to learn. I'm just going to learn at his feet. And it says there in verse 39 that he's hearing his words. He is listening to what's coming out of his mouth. Do understand this about who he's speaking. This is Jesus speaking. The Bible teaches me that Jesus, is his, wor- his words, his voice, are the same words that calls later on Lazarus to come out of the grave. It's the same word, the same voice that says, let there be light at the beginning of time, and there's light. 
It's the same words that called you, if you're a Christian, to repentance. And you heard that voice and you repented of your sins and you put your faith in Christ. His voice transformed. We're talking about the words that are world-creating, life-transforming. And here's Martha. She's making sure the suit's ready. And here's Mary in the posture of a disciple listening to the life-transforming, world-creating words of the Master. Jesus says, I know what you're doing, Martha, feels really important. I know it feels like if it doesn't happen, it feels like it's going to be the end of the world. But Martha, your strength is not going to get the work done. Jesus' strength does that. All of your planning is not going to get the work done, Martha. Jesus does that. The job that you're doing right now feels like the most important thing in the world, and if you don't do it, the world's going to fall apart. But Jesus is the one who holds it all together. And I want you, as I'm talking to those here in 2021, listening to my voice, there's so much that calls our attention, is there not? There really is. I can say that for myself. I, I know sometimes I even have to struggle and fight, it feels like, to just get a five minutes of peace. But we need to understand that my job's not going to save me. My effort's not going to save me. All the work that I'm going to do is not going to save me. I can work my fingers to the bone. I can be describe myself practically insane trying to manage it all. But that's not going to change anything. We have a God in heaven, a Savior, who literally holds our molecules together. You think you've got a big job because if you don't show up, the plant's going to shut down or whatever it is you do, the school's not going to run. But God does the work of literally holding your substance together. I think it's time we stop letting the work overwhelm us and go to the one who does the work and sit at his feet and learn from him. Go and get to know him to Fall in love with Him. And when we can't see or hear Him, call out to Him, God, where are you? And He will come. And He will be there. We carry such heavy burdens. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Your work. Your, the work that's in front of you is going to overwhelm you. But not only is the work going to overwhelm you, but your co-workers are going to fail you too. Martha is not able to enjoy Jesus' visit. She's so distracted, cumbered, it says there in verse 40, distracted by all the things. She's too busy to enjoy the main thing. So what does she do? What I do, what often we all do when something goes wrong, I'll find somebody to blame. It's your fault. It's your fault. Not my fault. Never my fault. It's always your fault. It's what we do. And she goes to Jesus in verse 40 and she says, Lord, do you not care? Don't you care? Somehow it's Jesus' fault that she's overloaded. And she goes and says, Mary's left me alone. So now it's Mary's fault. And, and, and she, she felt as if she couldn't 
get it all done. She needed some help. Now, I don't know, maybe, maybe this blaming others, and some of you are like this, where you kind of, when you're, when you're under a lot of pressure and a lot of stress, there's a different, it's like a monster version of you that comes out. And maybe that's what it is with Martha. Maybe that pressure made her act in ways that she didn't normally act. That said, maybe, maybe Mary had a reputation for being that person who does never, doesn't do anything around the house doesn't do anything. She's always having to get on her case. Maybe that's what the, the situation was. But bottom line is, whether Mary should have done more or not, whether Martha genuinely felt alone or not, whether she was under pressure or not, the point of this is to show you that Martha was genuinely disappointed in other people. I want to make sure you know this. There will be people, in case you didn't know this, some of y'all that have just had blissful lives up to this point, I just want you to know this. This is going to happen at some point. People are going to let you down. People are going to disappoint you. You're going to think something is so important that I don't understand why the whole world doesn't get on my bandwagon. And you're going to find that there's going to be precious few people that appreciate what you're thinking about. There's going to be something, somewhere, and I, I'm, I'm way underselling it because I'm afraid it's way more often it's my experience has been way more often than I like for it to happen that people disappoint you and let you down. Martha's sitting here thinking, if I could just have one more hand in the kitchen, I could solve this problem. But I can tell you, even if, you know, I know Mary's disappointed by sitting at the feet of Jesus, but I can also tell you if Mary would have got up and gone into the kitchen or done whatever she asked her to do, she wouldn't have done it like Martha wanted her to do. She couldn't have done it enough that instead there's one more hand, that you need two more hands, you need four more hands, you need six more hands. It would have just added up. There would have been more and more. Isn't there always more work to do than there's time and people to do it? I can tell you that. That's just the way the world is. That's the way it works. And so what Jesus does in this situation is he rebukes her lovingly. Martha. He doesn't take sides. He doesn't say, well, you leave Martha or Mary alone or you, Martha, you know, you're right. Mary, you help her. He doesn't do that, not at all. What does he do? <laughs> As I already mentioned, he doesn't even stand up to help her. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't do that. But as I mentioned before, he calls her to something better. He calls her to sit at his feet, to learn of him, to hear his word. See, other people are going to harm you. Other people are going to fail you. But they can't really change anything. I, if, if I could somehow get everybody in this room to do exactly what's in my mind and in my heart, let's just say I could do that. Y'all are not going to do it the way I want you to do it. Not only are you not going to do it the way I want you to do it, it really wouldn't make a dent in what really needs to change. Because you know who doesn't do the work? Me. Or you. You know who does do the work? It's our Savior, Jesus. He's the one. You can't heal me. I can only help you through Jesus. There's no help or healing that we can provide to each other. We definitely can't save each other. I bet you the parents that are in here, especially if you have young children, or maybe you have older children that have gone wayward, you would give anything. If you could bring that one to Christ right now, you would give your very life if you could do that. But did you know you can't save your children? You can't change their hearts. 
You can't change their lives. So what is it they need? They don't need more of you. They need the Lord to be involved in the situation. God does use other people. I don't want to miss that. We don't act like we're, it's not a solo thing. We understand that we're brought together in Christ. But He uses other people. But it is ultimately Him working in and through us. That's how He uses us. He doesn't use me because I'm so smart or so good-looking, even though I am both smart and good-looking. Because that's not how He uses me. He uses me in spite of this outer shell. He uses me and uses you in the same way. He works through us to change us and transform us. If that's who's working, if He's the one I need, people are going to disappoint me. I'm going to disappoint you. But let me hear let hear me say this when I when I say that it's ultimately the Lord that we need. He's the one. I don't need to lean on other people. I need to lean on the one who can. I need to get to know Him. I need to fall in love with Him. I need to spend time with Him, and I need to call on Him because the Savior Jesus Christ is going to empower you. He's going to embolden you. Mary is doing, Jesus says there, the one needful thing, the necessary thing. He, she's doing that. She's not doing what everybody wanted her to do. What, what was the consensus in the house that she should do? Get up. Get to work. Do something. What are you sitting there for? Martha wanted her in the kitchen. She's not even doing, can I go ahead and say this, but she's not even doing what the situation demanded. If you were to an outsider looking in the situation, well, Martha, it's got a point. Mary, get up. Go help her. That's what I would assess the situation. But she's not doing what the situation demanded. There was more work than could ever be handled by two people, three people, four people, five people. But instead of trying to accomplish more stuff, she's acknowledging that she's in the presence of the one who can do anything. That's what's going on. She is seeing Him as the Creator, as the Sovereign. She is being still and knowing that He is God. She's just spending time with Jesus, sitting at His feet, listening to His Word. Yes, she's being accused of being lazy. Yes, there's a lot of demands that are going unmet. But she was determined that, as Jesus said, this is the thing in verse 42, the thing that would not be taken away from He was determined to not let any bully, any thief, any bill, any boss, any demand take away what was the most important thing spending some time with the He was adamant about that. And I want to tell you, you're about to go into another work week. In fact, some of y'all might start this afternoon. And the work you're about to face is going to overwhelm you. The people you work with are going to fail you. But the Savior that gives the power you need is available to you. You might just better be better off to choose the good part, as Jesus says, the, the needful thing. And put everything on pause for a few minutes and say, yep, I know that work will be there when I get back. I know those, those terrible co-workers will still be disappointing me when I get back. But I'm going to put it all on pause and get to know my Lord, fall in love with Him, and call on Him. 
look, close here where I've given you just some practical advice here. Hope I've given you the Bible, what, it, what, it, what the implications are. But let me try to give you some practical advice. You've got six things on the, on the slide there that give you what this looks like practically. I'm going to talk you through each one of those very briefly. It won't take you long. The first thing I want to encourage you to do is, when we're talking about not, you know, we're overwhelmed by the work, we're, over, we're disappointed by our co-workers, what do we need to do here? How are we going to do this one needful thing? The first thing we need to do, we need to check who our Savior is. I'm afraid that there's many, and I, I know I'm talking to folks who are here in the church on a, on a Sunday morning. That's why I'm saying this, because you're here at church on a Sunday morning. I want you to assess yourself. I can't do this for you. You have to assess yourself. Is what you have in Christ simply the things you do or what other people say about you or how good you feel about yourself? Or do you lean wholly and solely on the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me say it another way. Are you working yourself to heaven? Or have you given up and leaned totally on Jesus for your hope of eternity? This is probably the most important question. The rest of those questions on there, or the rest of those statements on that slide matter not if this thing is not in place. You must make sure you know in whom you have believed. Is Jesus Christ your Savior? Is He your hope of eternity? Please, get that settled. If there's any question this morning, please talk to someone. Talk to me. Grab somebody and say, I need some help on this. We'll help you. We'll show you from the Scriptures. But ultimately, you need in your heart, you need to have a soul and total reliance on Jesus as your Savior. Presuming that is where you are, that your Savior is not the things you do, not the other people in your life, not what other people think about you, but if your Savior is Jesus, then second of all, you need to prioritize your Savior. Are you simply going through the motions and checking off the boxes? Yep, I went up to church, I, I, read, my, I read a few verses in the Bible, I, I maybe said a little prayer, and then I'm done, I'm moving on. Or are you actually spending time with the Lord? I'm not saying you have to spend hours and hours. And just as a way of comparison, if I were to set aside and say, you know what, Vanessa, my wife, talking about her, I'd say, Vanessa, you know, for the next 10 hours, I'm going to just be in your face and we're going to spend time together. She would say, back off, buddy. I got, I got other things going on. Leave me alone. And I know our Lord's a little more kind than that, but, but I'm trying to get you to see that sometimes it's just spend a little bit of time. Talk to him for a minute. Come back, do some work, come back later, talk to him again. That's how our relationships work. That's how that kind of naturally works. The Lord's not different than that. He loves you the same way. Your husband, your wife, your significant other. That's, how, that's what He loves you in that way. Your, your parents. That's, what he, that's how He loves you. Talk to Him. Spend some time with Him. But are you prioritizing that? Or is that just happening kind of as a perfunctory thing? Just, eh, maybe I'll get to it if I get time. Third, learn of the Savior. There's a lot of ways to do this. I'll just give you a couple very briefly. Certainly private devotion. Spend some time. Crack open the book. Read it. Spend some time in it. Maybe get a book to read alongside of your Bible reading. Uh, public worship. This is part of learning of the Savior. What you learn here together. Uh, going to a, a group like a Sunday school or a Bible study. Those things are great ways to learn of the Savior. Spend some time with some other people that are encouraging you, talking to you about the Savior. Uh, read really good books. Uh, re- listen to podcasts. Listen to sermons. 
engage in some Jesus conversation every now and again. Just talk to some people about I'm not, Yeah, witness, that's, absolutely do that, but there might be some Christian friends of yours. Just talk to, talk to them about what you learned on Sunday. That's something good to do. All of those things are where you can learn of your Savior a little bit more. Number four, meditate on the Savior. Don't just read the Bible to read off, oh, I got read my chapter today, read my verse today. No, no, go a little further and say, I actually want to understand something. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to read on it with purpose. Enjoy that time. I'm going to actually see what is it God's telling me to do, and I'm going to try to my best to do it. That's what I'm talking about. Spend some time and meditate on the Savior. Number five, spend some time with the Savior. Don't just make it a matter of it's a chore, work. You can love Him too. We talk about a personal relationship with Jesus, but do you really have one? Do you actually spend some time with Him and just talk to Him and pour out your heart to Him and complain to Him and grouse to Him a little bit and let Him let him rebuke your soul when you do that. But go ahead, let it out to Him. Why don't you do that? Just spend some time with Him and then finally lean on Him. Lean on your Savior. Expect Him to accomplish things through you, yes, to use you, but let Him do the work. Lean on Him to do the work. In closing, to simply say, what are you going to do about that? I know the work is overwhelming. There's more work than we can accomplish. You probably could, if I gave you the time, tell me all the people in your life that have disappointed you and let you down. But what are you going to do about it? I invite you to come and make Jesus your Savior if He is not already your Savior. I'm going to invite you to come and commit spending time with you.